0: Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Friday, December 15th, and this is episode number 206. My name is Justin Hume. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Investing Newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing. And always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. It is really, really good to be back. Like I mentioned in a tweet the other day, it has been about three months since I've done an episode of the Uranium Market Minute. I can tell you a lot has happened in that three months. There is much to talk about, way more than I can cover in a single episode. So I'm going to highlight two elements that are extremely important right now in this market. What are those two elements? The current situation for supply and the situation with the potential ban of Russian uranium imports in the United States and the movements that it's causing in the uranium market. Before we get into all of that, I wanna let you know right up top that I have something special for you. As you may or may not know, every single month we host members-only webinars for our paying members of Uranium Insider. During these webinars, we have very in-depth conversations with industry executives And we go very, very deep into the fundamental thesis, into the macro analysis for this sector. And then, of course, we talk about our positioning, about the equities, and take a long-form Q&A session with our paying members. Well, this past month, during the month of November, we interviewed Nick Lawson and Ben Feingold from Oceanwall. Now, these guys have done incredible work in the uranium space, and we decided that we would share that portion of the members' webinar, just the interview with Nick and Ben, publicly. So if you would like to listen or watch this interview, click the link below in the description. I guarantee you there's some very, very high level, um, very strong opinions about where this sector is going, and we couldn't agree more with them. You're going to really enjoy this interview. This is not something we've ever done, which is put a portion of our members webinar Out to the public now of course we did exclude the member q a and the discussion about the equities and positioning so this is this is just a macro talk a fundamental thesis talk but it is very very informative and inspiring and it's an awesome listen so if you haven't watched it yet click the link in the description and you can watch that for free this is not something we plan on doing again so hopefully you do enjoy this for the holiday season with that said i think we can go ahead and jump in here all right, so starting off right away, the spot price. Okay, the spot price currently sitting at 84.25 a pound mid market. Now, this is the quote from UXC. This is the quote from yesterday. They do a price update every single day. The price quote as of the time of this recording has not come in yet. So 84, let's see, what was that? 84.55, 84.25 a pound mid-market. Now the UXC quote usually comes in a little bit lower than the numerical quote, primarily because oftentimes when you see this very wide spread, you're not actually seeing transactions done at that mid-market price. However, I do expect a big jump in the reported price from UXC. With all of that said, This is a very, very thin market, a very illiquid market. A lot of effort has to be put into the acquisition of even a couple hundred thousand pounds in the spot market. I wanna mention this and and really highlight this because this this is an anomaly. This is unique. This is not something I have ever seen and I've been following this market only for about six years. This is not something that the industry execs that we have contacts with throughout the industry have ever seen. This is new territory. There is no precedent for the dynamics that are currently in the Iranian market. There's no precedent for this. I tweeted out yesterday that we're always trying to look at the past for some sort of a historical example, some historical precedent so that we can try to inform ourselves of what to expect going forward. And we're always looking to pass the uranium bull market, right? Saying, okay, this bottom at eight bucks a pound and went all the way to 134. Well, that percentage gain is this much. And if few inflation ad- adjusted, it gets to 200 bucks a pound, whatever it is, right? We're trying to look to the past and try to gain some insight into what can we expect going forward in this bull market? Well, things are so different right now that it's very difficult to even say what we can realistically expect. In the previous bull market, we actually never had a supply deficit. We had a relatively balanced supply environment. Now, at the start of that bull market, we did have relatively low commercial inventories, similar levels that we have right now, globally, on average. And we did have the Chinese building a lot. We did have a scare about supply with the cigar and MacArthur mine floods, primarily the cigar flood, That really kicked off some concern in the market, but we never actually had a structural deficit. That is very different than right now. Right now, currently, this year alone, we've got somewhere between a 30 and 40 million pound deficit just for 2023. That comes in a little bit next year with hopefully more production from MacArthur and Cigar, with Paladins and Langer Heinrich with their first pounds from the restart of that mine, a little bit of supply here and there. And I'm going to discuss that a little bit more in just a moment, but- we have a very, very tight supply situation. We don't really see where that relief is going to come from. So the last episode that I did, I believe I I titled it, There Is No Relief Valve. And what I really meant by that is that looking back at what provided some relief to these higher volume moments in the physical market. So that was primarily coming from the Sprott physical Random Trust and capital flows into that vehicle. So this is the autumn of 2021, March, April, 2022. These two big price spikes that were driven by demand those are demand driven spikes and you had the uh the the physical f- trust come in and buy uranium hand over fist driven by capital flows that were coming in like crazy and what happened was you had carry traders sell some of their pounds to sprout come into the mid market and cover Now, I mentioned, if you want to go into depth on these couple of points, you can go back and watch my last episode, episode 205. So that was the reverse carry trade. The other point was that the midterm market is so tight because utilities are flexing up. Now, something I want to highlight about this element that I didn't talk about in the last episode very much, and that is utilities with historical legacy contracts had flex provisions in those contracts that were sort of like a bonus thrown in by the seller. So this is something that that was negotiated between the buyer and seller, and in a buyer's market, the buyers had leverage, so they would get partially fixed prices. And then they would get some flex provisions, where at the time of delivery, they could let the producer know, hey, I want to flex up or flex down in, in a declining price environment. Utilities generally would flex down because they could come in the spot market and buy more pounds cheaper, probably than previous contracts that they signed. Well, now we're in an uptrend in price. Everyone is flexing up. What this not only is doing is tightening that midterm, which is kind of now until the next, let's say three years, where producers have very little supply. Some of that is due to the flexing up that's been happening over the past 12 to 18 months, and will continue to happen to the extent that these legacy contracts have those flex provisions. Now contracts signed in the last 12 months don't have these any longer. So we're going out two, three years from now, we're not going to see this same element. But right now, all utilities are flexing up. That's putting a lot of pressure on producers to the point where producers are going to have to source pounds outside of their own production. Is that the spot market? Is that from other entities? Is that from borrowing? Maybe a little bit of all three. Really what that's doing is it's it's tightening the market. And to the extent that producers might have to come into the spot market, they're going to be competing with the financial entities, with the traders, and with utilities who are uh, really coming up to the table. So right now we've got 161 million pounds signed year to date in long-term contracting. Now that's reported by UXC. UXC claims that they report about 85% of what they believe is the total volume transacted in the term market on an annual basis. So 85%, 60, 161 million pounds, What that really means is we're pretty much at replacement rate contracting this year. And I think we might even get there officially uh, in the next couple of weeks. That is possible. Year number one of a contracting cycle, year one. So we've got multiple years left of this contracting cycle. Okay, getting back to the tight market and the supply situation before we go and talk about Russia. Before we get into that, let's take a quick look at the charts. Starting off with URA, this has been on an absolute tear over the past few months, along with the commodity itself. We've seen since the summertime consolidation period, June, July, this move where we're sitting right now, URA is up 30%. It's been a huge year for this ETF, a huge year for the sector, and an even bigger year for the commodity itself. Bought price of uranium now sitting, we're showing this is the Numerico price, 85.75 mid-market. UXC price printed a little bit lower, as I've already mentioned, but this has been on an absolute tear. This commodity is up 75% year to date, making decade highs. And honestly, inflation adjusted, we're sitting here below $60 a pound in 2005. This has a very, very long way to go. And there is, like I've mentioned and will continue to mention, there's just no relief in store. So we have the past, the the next couple of weeks are the end of the year. Usually it's quiet. Clearly things are not quiet in the physical market when they typically are. Maybe they'll slow down for a moment for the holidays into the new year. And the equities might do the same. Both URNM and URA are paying pretty chunky dividends and have some selling to do to pay those dividends. So what I'm hoping we'll see is we'll see the sector here, generally speaking, Consolidate down, find that rising 50-day, maybe we'll see some support there, getting ready to move into the new year. That's an ideal situation. Cameco, of course, has been on a massive run this year, one of the leading stocks in the space, along with the Sprout Physical Uranium Trust, which is tracking the commodity that is up 75% on the year absolutely huge. Cameco, also, I would not be surprised to see this consolidate down right along where we saw some previous resistance a couple of months back, and that would pretty much align with that rising 50-day. I would not be surprised to see that kind of move. URA compared to the S&P in somewhat of a bull pennant type pattern here. We've got this uh, pennant here that we're working on. That's a really crude drawing, but you get the idea. Consolidating period here. I do think that in time, this is going to break out to the upside, whether that's through the sector uh, running hard or the S&P pulling back one of the two or both, and we're going to see this shoot up and break to the upside. Generally speaking, these patterns mostly break out in the direction of the trend and the moving averages will tell you the direction of that trend. Yes, the 20-day is moving down, but we are well above a rising 200-day, so the broader trend is clearly up, Needs a little bit of work on the RSI for this to turn back bullish. Maybe we have a little bit of backing and filling here. Maybe we actually see it pull down and have a false breakdown below this pennant. But this is going to break to the upside at some point. Like I mentioned, Sput just been a monster, monster year for the Sprout Physic Uranium Trust, even though they haven't done a lot of buying. They purchased, I think it was £600,000 in November and. Three or 400,000 pounds in October. So they've been in the market a little bit, but not much. And honestly, we don't need them to buy another pound. They have done the heavy lifting that they needed to do, uh, cleaning out the above-ground mobile inventory during those two periods of, of major capital flows, late 2021, early 2022. And now they nibble a little bit here, a little bit there, and maybe they put a little bit of a floor in the spot market. When capital does flow into this vehicle and they approach NAV, the market starts to react to that. We actually see traders coming in and buying uranium in expectation that Sput will be doing the same in the near term if capital starts to flow. Regardless this chart is certainly quite a bit extended but it's not extreme overextended we're not even 2x the 200 day not even close to it so this has a long ways to go before it gets into extreme kind of overbought scenario and either way charting this is fun because it's so gorgeous but it's kind of pointless this is a commodity that's being utilized for an end user a nuclear power plant operator this is not something that's being traded on technicals this is a physical market but the chart is pretty, you know, you have to admit that. URA compared to the metal itself. Wow. This has certainly underperformed compared to the spot price and miners are cheap, incredibly, incredibly cheap compared to the commodity. They are almost as cheap as the March 2020 crash in COVID. Almost that cheap. That is how cheap they are compared to the metal. URNM compared to the spot price of uranium, looks a little bit different and possibly is actually even a little bit more quote unquote accurate. Why? Because URNM is 100% pure play uranium miners. So this guy is sitting right at key support. It was resistance a couple of times before the bull market took off, and now it's sitting right at long-term support. We've had support over multiple instances. I think this is probably marking Quote unquote, the bottom, maybe a little bit down here and retest kind of these lows. That might be possible. A lot of work for this thing to actually turn bullish, but this is a ratio chart. What does that mean? That means we could see this chart go just like this, horizontal sideways, and we will be very, very pleased with our investments because the commodity is going to continue to move higher. With that said, I do think that we see this bottom out somewhere in this range and we will see the miners play catch up and actually end up outperforming the metal in this next leg of the market. That's what I'm predicting. That's obviously what I'm hoping for being primarily positioned in miners as well. Let's flesh this point out. We have an extremely, extremely thin spot market. Like I mentioned, £100,000 purchased is moving the price. This hasn't happened before, just so you know. This is unique, and what is going to make this go away? What is going to be the liquidity that, that balances this market, and how soon will that come out? That's really what we need to calculate, right? So you want to look at that supply and demand dynamic just like any commodity investment. That's the core thesis. How much is being produced? How much is being consumed? How much will be produced in the next few years? How much will be consumed in the next few years? That will tell you roughly the trajectory of the price. Oversupplied market, price goes down. Undersupplied market, price goes up. We expect the market to stay undersupplied. And there's some variables within this calculation that are impossible to predict, but are there. One of those is financial buying. How much of that will happen? Two is how much will inventories be restocked by utilities? How much will they voluntarily buy in excess of their run rate? Those two things we don't know. And they will put more pressure on the demand side. Supply side is actually easier to forecast. You know who's producing now, you know for the most part how much they're producing, and then you can gauge and make conservative estimates on what's going to come online. Okay, so we have a very, very tight midterm. Producers, from what we're hearing, generally speaking, are mostly sold out of forward production for the next three to four years and then it starts to open up a little bit as we go out into the end of the decade, 2030s, mid-2030s, we're looking good to go. <laughs> That's you know 10 years away. For the next three to four years, there is a problem. What supply can come online? Okay. First of all, we can start by looking at Paladin, Langer Heinrich in Namibia. They're in the process of restarting that mine. Um, they do have some forward contracts to fulfill. They do have the Chinese with a 25% offtake And they generally are uh, signing contracts and will sign contracts. They're not holding most of that supply back to sell into the spot market. So that's going to go into the term market. They will have some production next year. I believe that will be full production in 2025. So how many pounds per year not going to China coming from Langer Heinrich? I would say probably about three and a half million pounds. Not a whole lot, but it's something. We'll take it. Okay, what else? Global Atomics DASA. This is a high-grade mine in Niger. It is in relatively advanced stages of development, although they do need to raise more money to finish that development. This is estimated to be three three to five million pounds a year, depending on which direction they go in terms of the size of the processing facility that they need to build. There's a coup in Niger. It looks to be calming down over there, which is great for the company. But this certainly was delayed by this situation this year. And I think 2025 production is optimistic. So we've got another... Two and a half, probably three years, maybe even longer before there's cake in a can. And that's only a few million pounds. And they also have contracts to produce into. Moving on, ISR mines in the United States. Encore Energy just started producing last month. Uh, We have Peninsula that's moving towards production. UR Energy, which which is moving towards increasing production. Energy Fuels, which has an ISR operation that can produce relatively quickly. And Uranium Energy Corporation, which is also moving towards production. Finally, Cameco has some assets in the United States that they never talk about, but at some point, uh, they probably will produce on those as well. So minimally, maybe we'll see a million pounds out of the United States in 2024, if we're lucky, maybe 2 million to 3 in 2025. That's a little bit of supply relief, but it's not very much, and some of that is already committed. Okay, what else? Australia ISR. Boss is restarting the Honeymoon mine. They have already restarted that mine. That is ramping towards 2.5 million pounds of annual production over the course of, I believe, two to three years. Maybe we'll see a million pounds out of Honeymoon next year. I think that's asking a lot. And Uranium One is the former producer at that mine. And they had no luck, but the company claims that they have addressed these issues. And hopefully they will be able to produce and produce as much as they say they plan to. But also not holding my breath there. No relief coming to the market from that project, that's actually for sure. Okay, what else? The Uzbeks, they are increasing production. This one is probably, out of everything, the most likely to happen. They're going from 8 or 9 million pounds last year to trying to hit about 17, 18 million pounds a year by 2030. So let's say a million and a half pounds per year added by the Uzbeks. That's something. It's not nothing. They have large offtakes with a couple of traders. Those traders typically do sell into the spot market. For some reason, a lot of that liquidity is not there. So I don't know if these traders are signing mid to long-term contracts or if the production has been inhibited. Either way, that liquidity that we generally see from traders coming from Uzbek offtakes, certainly not in the spot market. Then we go to the Kazakhs. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna leave the Kazakhs for the last because there's more to talk about that. Uh, Arano, a French state-owned uranium mining company, and uh, uranium uh, conversion and enrichment provider is developing ISR projects in Mongolia. They're looking at first production late decade at, at the soonest, okay? And that's that'll be a decent amount of pounds, but not, uh, not a market saving amount and not anytime soon. Canada is the nearest term non-ISR large uh, large producing mine. So we're talking specifically here about NextGen's Aero, potentially Fission's uh, PLS, and Denison's Phoenix. Now, these are three relatively large projects. Arrow is, of course, a massive, massive project. They're claiming they're going to be producing uranium in 2028. This is not going to be producing by that time, in my personal opinion. Will it be a mine? Absolutely. It's gigantic. It's high grade. It absolutely will be a mine, but not anytime soon. There are challenges for the companies that are already producing in that area, hint, in labor in supply chains. There's major problems in skilled labor in this sector, and still big problems with supply chains. Items that usually take days or taking weeks or months if they get them at all, and the price is 2, 3, x of what it was two years ago. That's the reality of mining, and this is in Canada. So, no near-term relief coming from Canada to this market. I mean, we're talking five years, and if we're lucky, in five years we'll have we'll have production uh, coming out of Canada, new production from new mines. Now, once Arrow and Phoenix and potentially PLS are producing, let's say twenty, thirty, and beyond, then we have a better supply environment. Though, a lot of that production is coming in when we're going to see decline rates really hit the existing mines, especially cigar. In fact, I think we're already hearing of early stages of that. All right, Kazakhstan. This is the big one. Now, just a few months back, they guided for 2025 production that they planned to increase to 100% of their subsoil use agreement uh, production amount which is 30 and a half to 31 and a half thousand tons of uranium production on a 100% basis. So that's Kazanprom and all of their JVs. That's 80 million pounds of uranium, roughly. Um, They're going to produce about 56 million pounds, 57 million pounds this year. In fact, they're gonna miss this year and they're gonna miss next year, in my opinion. That, let's see, that is a 35% increase in production um, in Kazakhstan in the next 18 months. So there's some really easy uh, ways that we can we can kind of gauge the likelihood of this happening, not just kind of prognosticating here, but actually looking at their, at their capex. They are having challenges um, with importing sulfuric acid. They are building their own sulfuric acid plant, but I believe that's not online until 2026. That will help when it is online. But that is one constraint. The other constraint is decline rates and the fact that they've gone after their best deposits first, just like all miners do. Uh, And within even the individual deposits, you go for the nose, the the highest grade portion of that deposit first. Kazakhstan has decline rates like everyone else. The production increasing coming from Kazakhstan is coming primarily from two large new mines. That's the Budinovskoy 6 and 7, which is the joint venture with Rosatom. And the uh, South Kaduk, which is a joint venture with Orano. Uh, so these two big mines are where most of that production increase is going to come from. So obviously, Adam is going to sell the majority of the uranium to China. All of the uranium from the joint venture with Russia, that's staying in Russia. They have a huge export book, and they're buyers in the market right now. They're essentially short uranium. But one thing that you can look at is the CapEx. What is the spend? Because there is a clear delay from the CapEx spend to production. CapEx spend is the well field development, the actual drilling out of these wells, the lining of the wells, the establishment of the the pumps, et cetera, et cetera. And that takes time. So from that first well drilled within a new expansion into a deposit, a new deposit or or an existing deposit, that new well drilled production from that series of wells is about 12 months after that first well is drilled. You have to drill out the series of wells, establish the well field. You have to inject and impregnate the ore body with the lixiviant, the sulfuric acid. That has to interact with the uranium and then it's extracted. And that happens about 12 months after the first well is drilled. It peaks between 12 and 18 months and then it declines very quickly from there. So they have to constantly drill, constantly drill. And they don't drill in December, January, February very much at all because of the weather conditions. So if you look at their CapEx, if you see a big jump in CapEx, you know there's going to be a jump in production about 12 months from now. We're actually seeing a decline in CapEx. What we expect is for Kazatomprom to come to the market late January and tell the market it's unlikely they're going to hit their production targets for 2024. And that's going to call into question 2025. There is no relief coming to the market from Kazatomprom or any of their joint ventures and from what I can tell, there's no relief coming at all in the next three or four and probably five years, with the exception of the Uzbeks, small increases, and U.S. and Australian ISR, and of course, uh, Paladin's Langer Heinrich. So maybe, maybe we see 10 million pounds uh, more uranium come next year with MacArthur and Cigar increasing, um, U.S. ISR, Australian ISR, Uzbeks increase and uh, Paladin Leier Heinrich, maybe 10 million, maybe 15 million in 2025. If we include the Kazakhs increase in production, maybe 20 million. That means we still are not at a balanced market two, three years out and the utilities have a lot of buying to do. That's not even to mention the rising tails assays within the new enrichment contracts. So all things being equal, the same capacity for nuclear energy globally is going to be consuming more uranium just because the average tails assays are increasing year over year. We go out three, four years from now, we've got tails that are probably going to be in the high point twos on balance between transactional and operational. That's a hell of a lot of uranium that that utilities have to buy to fulfill these enrichment contracts. So pulling this all into a relatively coherent, simple statement, I'm going to reiterate the last episode. There's no supply relief in the near to midterm. It's just not there. Supply is not going to be able to respond in time. And the supply scenario that we're looking at right now and for the next few years, there's no precedent for it. And there's plenty of demand. And this is all with the backdrop of COP28, 24 countries signing a pledge to triple nuclear power globally by 2050. Yeah, that's just a proclamation, but you get it. The sentiment for nuclear is improving on a day-to-day basis, and that underpins this entire thesis. Sentiments improving, nuclear is growing, supply is limited, demand is strong and growing, there's only one thing that can happen, and that's the price has to keep going up until that price incentivizes supply to come into the market. And thus far, there's no evidence at all that we're sitting here at almost $85 a pound uranium, and the market is thinner than it's ever been ever. So where is that magical billion pounds that come into the market when we hit XYZ price? It's not there. Will it be there at one hundred and fifty dollars a pound uranium? Nobody knows. The only relief can maybe come from China, and that's a voluntary uh, selling of uranium into the market. Well, guess what? Chinese have been buyers this year, not sellers. So as of now, a price that we didn't even think was possible this year, here we are, and the inventory has absolutely dried up. It's not coming to the market. The market is very illiquid. I expect very strong moves for this commodity for next year, and we're pumped to see it. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Russia before we close this off. So the the House introduced a bill, House Bill 1042. This is the Preventing Russian Uranium Imports Act, or something like that. Um, I don't know if I said that exactly correct, but you get the idea. This act is proposing to end the importing of Russian uranium 90 days from when it becomes law. This is... Uh, Primarily, of course, trying to get the United States off of dependence on Russian uranium. It's also a political statement with this proxy war. And it has a couple of provisions within it that will not necessarily turn the screws to the utilities. The primary provision is that waivers are offered by the Secretary of Energy out to December 31st, 2027, so about four years. Where if a utility cannot source uranium within the time frame that is needed and at prices that will not absolutely devastate their budget, that they could be granted a waiver from the Secretary of Energy to receive that Russian material. So it doesn't necessarily effectively actually ban that material, at least not immediately and not for four years. So for four years, there's waivers that the utilities can access. Now, it is a question on whether or not they will be granted. Of course, they probably will be, assuming that they literally cannot find the material and that it would actually threaten their operations. A waiver will be granted for that. Okay, but four years from now, no go. This passed the House with flying colors, went on to the Senate for fast-tracking through the Senate. Now, in order to not go to a standard traditional vote and be fast-tracked, 100% of the 100 senators have to be on board with it. One senator, Senator Cruz from Texas, blocked it for reasons that were unrelated to the bill itself. He probably wanted to stuff something in there for his constituency, as politicians do. It is going to move forward. We believe that it is going to pass the Senate. Now, some of the Senate leaders had a caveat for them voting yes on this, and that caveat was that the defense budget would be passed with funding for nuclear and funding to support utilities that might be financially harmed by the bill. It looks like that funding is there and that defense budget did pass a couple of days back. So it is almost guaranteed at this point. Nothing's guaranteed, but it's highly, highly likely the Senate will pass this. It'll get the president's signature. Now, what we were hearing a couple of days back is that the Russian enrichment company 10X, which supposedly, according to an article from Bloomberg, giving a warning to their United States customers, U.S. utilities, that it's possible that Russia could ban exporting uranium above like the Russian Federation, not 10X themselves. But if they had orders sent down to them from on high, that they can no longer export as a response to this bill passing. Of course, Rosatom came out saying, that's not the case. We're not going to preemptively cut off those shipments. So that's not the case. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to play out. Now that could be posturing. But if it were posturing, that means that they would be expecting the US utilities to have some sort of influence on getting this bill killed and not getting it passed. With all of that said, we understand that the large US utilities are actually in favor of this bill passing because they want to get off Russian uranium. They probably are covered already. And there's plenty of support and funding coming down the pike from the US federal government for supporting the nuclear fuel supply chain conversion and enrichment, especially enrichment. So that's a very good sign. Either way, regardless of how this plays out, the possibility of this passing has already caused some movement in the physical market. We've seen the spot price up about $4 since this bill was supported by a major United States nuclear advocacy organization. And the market is tightening up even further. Inventories are being held more tightly. It's just one more element into a very complex stew of supply concerns, it's just one more piece that's adding to the puzzle. And of course, if Russia does decide that they are going to respond to their material being banned with this bill, even though there's waivers, if they do decide to cut it off, now I don't think they will, I kind of hope that they don't actually, because the situation's dire enough without this element. But if they do, we're going to see a price spike and it's going to happen pretty fast and it's gonna be pretty violent. And that's probably what would happen as soon as Russia cut off that supply. If they do, I'm not predicting that they will. I know for sure the Russian entities, 10x and t Adam, they all want to be seen as reliable producers that will never break a contract. So they're not going to do it. But if the Russian Federation says, screw the US for banning us, you know, you can't fire me, I quit, and they just stop sending it that's going to be a problem and it's going to cause a major price response. So don't know if that's going to happen. but That is possible. All right, let's wrap this all up. I hope you are well. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday season. We're right around the corner from that. Solstice is next week, which is something that I celebrate. I love to see the days start to get longer again. And we have a very exciting 2024 coming. It's, it's like I said, there's no precedent for the dynamics that are in the physical market right now. There is no precedent for it. And I don't know where it's going to go, but I know it's going to go higher. That's what happens when there's no supply and the demand is increasing. And there's just no relief valve in the near term. So it should be a pretty exciting, very constructive year going forward. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday season. I hope that you have a great New Year's. Maybe I'll, I'll get another episode out before the new year. I'll do these as often as I can. I do appreciate you. Thank you for your patience. And again, if you did not already watch this webinar replay from last month's members only webinar, our interview with Nick Lawson and Ben Feingold from Oceanwall, you're going to like it. You're going to appreciate what they share. Click the link in the description and you can watch it for free. Okay. Take care, be well, and I will see you in the next episode. Cheers.